0: Book 2, chapters 6 through 10 of Against Jovinianius by St. Jerome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I will follow in detail the views now expounded, and before I come to Scripture and show by it that fasting is pleasing to God and chastity accepted by Him, I will meet philosophic argument with argument and will prove that we are not followers of Empedocles and, and pythagoras who on account of their doctrine of the transmigration of souls think nothing which lives and moves should be eaten and look upon him who fell a fir tree or an oak as equally guilty with the parasite or the poisoner but that we worship our creator who made all things for the use of man and as the ox was created for ploughing the horse for riding dogs for watching "'goats for milk, sheep for their wool, "'so it was with swine and stags and roes and hares and other animals. "'But the immediate purpose of their creation "'was not that they might serve for food, but for other uses of men. "'For if everything that moves and lives was made for food "'and prepared for the stomach, "'let my opponents tell me why elephants, lions, leopards, and wolves were created, "'why vipers, scorpions, bugs, lice, and fleas, Why the vulture, the eagle, the crow, the hawk, why whales, dolphins, seals, and small snails were created? Which of us ever eats the flesh of a lion, a viper, a vulture, a stork, a kite, or the worms that crawl upon our shores? As then these have their proper uses, so may we say that other beasts, fishes, birds, were created not for eating, but for medicine, In short, to how many uses the flesh of vipers, from which we make our antidotes against poison, may be applied, physicians know well. Ivory dust is an ingredient in many remedies. Hyena's gall restores brightness to the eyes, and its dung, that of dogs, cures gangrenous wounds. And it may seem strange to the reader. Galayan asserts in his treatise on simples That human dung is of service in a multitude of cases. Naturalists say that snake skin, boiled in oil, gives wonderful relief in earache. What to the uninitiated seems so useless as a bug? Yet suppose a leech to have fastened on the throat. As soon as the odor of a bug is inhaled, the leech is vomited out, and difficulty in urinating is relieved by the same application. As for the fat of pigs, geese, fowls, and pheasants, how useful they are is told in all medical works and if you read these books you will see there that the vulture has as many curative properties as it has limbs peacock's dung allays the inflammation of gout cranes storks eagle's gall hawk's blood the ostrich frog's chameleon's swallow's dung and flesh in what diseases these are suitable remedies I could tell if it were my purpose to discuss bodily ailments and their cure. If you think proper, you may read Aristotle and Theophrastes in prose, or Marcellus of Side, and our Flavius, who discourse on these subjects in hexamer verse. The second Pliny also, and Dioscorides, and others, both naturalists and physicians, who assign to every herb, every stone, every animal, whether reptile, bird, or fish, its own use in the art of which they treat. So then, when you ask me why the pig was created, I immediately reply, as if two boys were disputing, by asking you why were vipers and scorpions, you must not judge that anything from the hand of God is superfluous, because there are many beasts and birds which your palate rejects but this may perhaps look more like contentiousness and pugnacity than truth let me tell you therefore that pigs and wild boars and stags and the rest of living creatures were created that soldiers athletes sailors rhetoricians miners and other slaves of hard toil who need physical strength might have food and also those who carry arms and provisions who wear themselves out with the work of hand or foot who ply the oar who need good lungs to shout and speak who level mountains and sleep out rain or fair? but our religion does not train boxers athletes soldiers or ditchers but followers of wisdom who devote themselves to the worship of god and know why they were created and are in the world from which they are impatient to depart hence also the apostle says when i am weak then i am strong and Though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day, and I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Are all commanded not to have two coats, nor food in their script, money in their purse, a staff in their hand, shoes on the feet, or to sell all they possess and give to the poor and follow Jesus? of course not but the command is for those who wish to be perfect on the contrary john the baptist lays down one rule for the soldiers another for the publicans but the lord says in the gospel to him who had boasted of having kept the whole law if thou wilt be perfect go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor and come follow me that he might not seem to lay a heavy burden on unwilling shoulders He sent us here away with full power to please himself, saying, If thou wilt be perfect. And so I say to you, if you wish to be perfect, it is good not to drink wine and eat flesh. If you wish to be perfect, it is better to enrich your mind than to stuff the body. But if you are an infant and fond of the cooks and their preparations, no one will snatch the dainties out of your mouth. Eat and drink, and if you like... With Israel, rise up and play and sing. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. Let him eat and drink who looks for death when he has feasted, who says with Epicurus, There is nothing after death, and death itself is nothing. We believe Paul when he says in tones of thunder, Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God will destroy both them and it. I have quoted these few passages of Scripture, To show that we are not one with the philosophers, but who does not know that no universal law of nature regulates the food of all nations, and that each eats those things of which it has an abundance? For instance, the Arabians and the Saracens and all the wild tribes of the desert live on camel's milk and flesh, for the camel is suit to the climate and barren soil of those regions, is easily bred and reared they think it wicked to eat the flesh of swine. Why? Because pigs which fatten on acorns, chestnuts, roots of ferns, and barley are seldom or never found among them, and if they were found, they would not afford the nourishment of which we spoke just now. The exact opposite is the case with the northern peoples. If you were to force them to eat the flesh of asses and camels, they would think it the same as though they were compelled to devour a wolf or a crow. In Pontus and a paterfamilius pays a good price for fat white worms with blackish heads which breed in decayed wood and as with us the woodcock and figpecker the mullet and scar are reputed delicacies so with them it is a luxury to eat the xylophagus again because throughout the glowing wastes of the desert clouds of locusts are found it is customary with the people of the east and of libya to feed on locusts john the baptist proves the truth of this compel the Phrygian or the native of pontus to eat a locust and he will think it scandalous force a syrian an african or arabian to swallow worms you will have the same contempt for them as for flies millipedes and lizards although the syrians are accustomed to eat land crocodiles and the africans even green lizards in egypt and palestine owing to the scarcity of cattle no one eats beef or makes the flesh of bulls or oxen or calves a portion of their food moreover in my province it is considered a crime to eat veal accordingly the emperor valens recently promulgated a law throughout the east prohibiting the killing and eating of calves he had in view the interests of agriculture and wished to check the bad practice of the commoner sort of people who imitated the jews in devouring the flesh of calves instead of fowls and suckling pigs the nomad tribes and the troglodytes and the scythians and the barbarous huns with whom we have recently become acquainted eat flesh half raw moreover the ichthyophagi a wandering race on the shores of the red sea broil fish on the stones made hot by the sun and subsist on this poor food the samaritans and and the chuadi the vandals and the countless other races delight in the flesh of horses and wolves why should i speak of other nations when i myself a youth on a visit to gaul heard that the adakoti a british tribe eat human flesh and that although they find herds of swine and droves of large or small cattle in the woods it is their custom to cut off the buttocks of the shepherds and the breasts of their women and to regard them as the greatest delicacies. The Scots have no wives of their own, as though they read Plato's Republic and took Cato for their leader. No man among them has his own wife, but like beasts they indulge their lust to their heart's content. The Persians, Medes, Indians, and Ethiopians, people on a par with Rome itself, have intercourse with mothers and grandmothers, with daughters and granddaughters the Sagittai and Derbiks think those persons most unhappy who die of sickness. And when parents, kindred, or friends reach old age, they are murdered and devoured. It is thought better that they should be eaten by the people themselves than by the worms. The Tabarini crucify those whom they have loved before when they have grown old. The Hircani throw them out half alive to the birds and dogs. The Caspians leave them dead for the same beasts. The Scythians bury alive with the remnants of the dead those who were beloved of the deceased. The Bactrians throw their old men to dogs which they rear for the very purpose. And when Stasinor, Alexander's general, wished to correct the practice, he almost lost his province. Forced an Egyptian to drink sheep's milk Drive, if you can, a Pelusio to eat an onion. Almost every city in Egypt venerates its own beasts and monsters, and whatever be the object of worship, that they think inviolable and sacred. Hence it is that their towns also are named after animals. Leonto, Sino, Lyco, Biziris, Emois, which is being interpreted a he-goat, And to make us understand what sort of gods Egyptians always welcomed, one of their cities was recently called Antios, after Hadrian's favorite. You see clearly then that not only in eating, but also in burial, in wedlock, and in every other department of life, each race follows its own practice and particular usages and takes that for the law of nature which is most familiar to it. But suppose all nations alike ate flesh, and let that be everywhere lawful which the place produces. How does it concern us whose conversation is in heaven, who as well as Pythagoras and Empedocles and all lovers of wisdom are not bound to the circumstances of our birth, but of our new birth, who by abstinence subject our our refractory flesh eager to follow the allurements of lust? The eating of flesh and drinking of wine and fullness of stomach is the seed plot of lust. And so the comic poet says, Venus shivers unless Sirius and Bacchus be with her. Through the five senses, as through open windows, vice has access to the soul. The metropolis and citadel of the mind cannot be taken unless the enemy have previously entered by its doors. The soul is distressed by the disorder they produce, and is led captive by sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. If anyone delights in the sports of the circus, or the struggles of athletes, the versatility of actors, the figure of women, in splendid jewels, dress, silver, and gold, and other things of the kind, the liberty of the soul is lost through the windows of the eyes, and the prophet's words are fulfilled. Death is come up into our windows again our sense of hearing is flattered by the tones of various instruments and the modulations of the voice and whatever enters the ear by the songs of the poets and comedians by the pleasantries and verses of pantomonic actors weakens the manly fibre of the mind then again no one but a profligate denies that the profligates and licentious find a delight in sweet odours different sorts of incense, fragrant bossum, kufi, onanathe, and musk, which is nothing but the skin of a foreign rat. And who does not know that gluttony is the mother of avarice, and, as it were, fetters the heart and keeps it pressed down upon the earth? For the sake of a temporary gratification of the appetite, land and sea are ransacked, and we toil and sweat our lives through— that we may send down our throats, honey, wine, and costly food. The desire to handle other men's persons and the burning lust for women is a passion boarding on insanity. To gratify this sense, we languish, grow angry, throw ourselves about with joy, indulge envy, engage in rivalry, are filled with anxiety. And when we have terminated the pleasure with more or less repentance, we once more take fire and want to do that which we again regret doing where then that which we may call the thin edge of disturbance has entered the citadel of the mind through these doors what will become of its liberty its endurance its thought of god particularly since the sense of touch can picture to itself even bygone pleasures and through the recollection of vice forces the soul to take part in them and after a manner to practice what it does not actually commit. At the call of reasoning, such as this, many philosophers have forsaken the crowded cities and their pleasure gardens in the suburbs with well-watered grounds, shady trees, twittering birds, crystal fountains, murmuring brooks, and many charms for eye and ear, lest through luxury and abundance of riches the firmness of the mind should be enfeebled and its purity debauched. There is no good in frequently seeing objects which may one day lead to your captivity, or in making trial of things which you would find it hard to do without. Even the Pythagoreans shunned company of this kind, and were wont to dwell in solitary places in the desert. The Platonists also, and the Stoics, lived in the groves and porticoes of the temples, that admonished by the sanctity of their restricted abode they might think of nothing but virtue. Plato, moreover himself, when Diogenes trampled on his couches with muddy feet, he being a rich man, chose a house called Academia at some distance from the city, in a spot not only lonely but unhealthy, so that he might have leisure for philosophy. His object was that, by constant anxiety about sickness, the assaults of lust might be defeated, and that his disciples might experience no pleasure but that afforded by the things they learned. We have read of some who took out their own eyes, lest through sight they might lose contemplation of philosophy. Hence it was that crates the famous Theobin, after throwing into the sea a considerable weight of gold, exclaimed, Go to the bottom, ye evil lusts. I will drown you, that you may not drown me. But if any one thinks to enjoy keenly meat and drink in excess and at the same time to devote himself to philosophy, that is to say, to live in luxury and yet not be hampered by the vices attendant on luxury, he deceives himself. Or if it be the case that even when far distant from them, we are frequently caught in the snares of nature and are compelled to desire those things of which we have a scant supply. What folly it is to think we are free when we are surrounded by the nets of pleasure. We think of what we see, hear, smell, taste, handle, and are led to desire the thing which affords us pleasure. That the mind sees and hears, and that we can neither hear nor see anything unless our senses are fixed upon the object of sight and hearing, is an old saw. It is difficult or rather impossible when we are swimming in luxury and pleasure not to think of what we are doing. And it is an idle pretense which some men put forward that they can take their fill of pleasure with their faith in purity and mental uprightness unimpaired. It is a violation of nature to revel in pleasure. And the Apostle gives a caution against this very thing when he says, She that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. The bodily senses are like horses, madly racing, but the soul, like a charioteer, holds the reins. And as horses without a driver go at breakneck speed, so the body, if it be not governed by the reasonable soul, rushes to its own destruction. The philosophers make use of another illustration of the relations between soul and body. They say the body is a boy, the soul his tutor. Hence, the historian tells us that our soul directs, our body serves. The one we have in common with the gods, the other with the beasts. So then, unless the vices of youth and boyhood are regulated by the wisdom of the tutor, every effort and every impulse sets strongly in the direction of wantonness. We might lose four of the senses and yet live that is we could do without sight hearing smell and the pleasures of touch but a human cannot subsist without tasting food it follows that reason must be present that we may take food of such kind and in such quantities as will not burden the body or hinder the free movement of the soul for it is the same way with us that we eat and walk and sleep and digest our food and afterwards in the fullness of blood have to bear the spur of lust wine is a mocker strong drink a brawler whosoever has much to do with these is not wise and we should not take such food as is difficult of digestion or such as when eaten will give us reason to complain that we got it and lost it with much effort the preparation of vegetables fruits and pulse is easy and does not require the skill of expensive cooks Our bodies are nourished by them with little trouble on our part, and if taken in moderation, such food is easier to digest and at less cost, because it does not stimulate the appetite and therefore is not devoured with much avidity. No one has his stomach inflated or overloaded if he eats only one or two dishes and those inexpensive ones. Such a condition comes of pampering the taste with a variety of meats. The smells of the kitchen may induce us to eat but when hunger is satisfied, they make us their slaves. And scourging gives rise to disease. And many persons find relief for the discomfort of gluttony and emetics. What they disgrace themselves by putting in was still greater disgrace put out. End of Book 2, Chapters 6-10 through 10.